on this episode of the Naturist Living Show, women's relationships with their bodies, the 60th anniversary of the INF, and much more. This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome, dear listener, to episode number 60 of the Naturist Living Show. It's October 2013, and my name is Stéphane Deschain. I'm your host for this podcast, and I'm also the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. And the first thing I want to mention is that uh, some people have asked questions because I sent an email out to a lot of subscribers who use the uh, Google subscription uh, notifier, email notifier, to tell them whenever there's a new... Uh, uh, there's a new show live, and the Google one is using the uh, FeedBurner uh, system, uh, which is owned by Google. They bought it a number of years ago to, as a tool for people who had uh, RSS feeds, and it, it's a, it was actually a great tool, but they seem to have abandoned it. They're not doing really updates to it, and there's rumors that I'm reading on the Internet that they may be discontinuing it. So I'm now using a service called FeedBlitz. Um, and that's what I send a note to everyone to subscribe to through FeedBlitz. But if you're on FeedBurner, you may also be getting the FeedBurner notices still as well because I haven't deactivated the whole thing. There's uh, quite a bit of work involved in transitioning from one to the other and notifying all the feeds where the new feed is, etc. So if you um, are getting both and if you want to unsubscribe from one, unsubscribe from the feed burner one, but keep the feed blitz one because eventually the feed burner will stop working. Uh, only the feed blitz notifier will keep going. <laughs> I had quite a few reactions to the uh, Facebook uh, issue that I brought up about censorship in the last podcast, and it seems that I've hit a nerve and a lot of people seem to agree. I think that most of us who have posted nature's images at one point or another have been uh, temporarily blocked from uh, Facebook, and in some cases I've heard outright banned, so uh, it's definitely an issue. Um, and I, somebody forwarded to me a Gawker article, and I actually had put a link to that Gawker article in the show notes, the show notes that you find at uh, naturistliving.bearoaks.ca that I always announce. And so, um, but I want to mention it because I hadn't mentioned it in the podcast. It's actually, it's, it's a little dated. It's from February of 2012, um, but it's a really interesting article about how Facebook deals with um, essentially complaints because they only censor things once they've received a complaint. There's far too much of it and they can't even deal with that which is why they use these third-party independent contractors in third world countries and pay them a dollar an hour and expect them to interpret these really complex uh, subjective uh, rules that you have to really judge whether you know it's violating it or not. It's it's, it's you got to read that article. I'll put the link again to the Gawker article um, in the uh, show notes. And uh, you've got to read it because it shows you the this complex chart that they have to use. And also talk about how they're really uh, taking advantage of these workers uh, by paying them so little. 
But I also really see from my friend Peter Allison, you might remember Peter because he's the one that organizes volleyball tournaments at Bear Oaks and uh, uh, spoken on the show about volleyball in the past. And he sent me a much more recent article from uh, BBC News. That's where I, this one is from. I'm sure it's repeated in other places from October 21st, 2013. So from this month. And in this one, um, Facebook has continues to agree to post uh, beheading videos, or very, uh, which are very violent. And in defense, they, they had complaints, they pulled it down, and then they put it back up. And uh, in defense, what they say in this article, the quote is, Facebook has long been a place where people turn to share their experiences, particularly when they're connected to controversial events on the ground, such as human rights abuses, acts of terrorism, and other violent events. People are sharing this video on Facebook to condemn it. If the video was being celebrated or the actions in it encouraged, our approach would be different. However, since some people object to graphic video of this nature, we are working to give people additional control over the content they see. This may include warning them in advance that the image they are about to see contains graphic content. So, um, and they also disabled uh, ads so that the advertisers won't be offended because their ad might appear next to the video. But all this argument about free speech and controversial events and, and sharing experiences, I don't understand why that doesn't apply to, well, breastfeeding, although they seem to have relaxed a little bit on that, or your appreciation for nude art or the human body or naturism so what again how warped are we that beheading this is a real beheading video a real person being killed in front of your eyes is that somehow still less offensive or more justifiable than the natural human body i mean I don't know what to say. It's so ridiculous that there's really... I don't even know how anybody can continue to justify this position, but they seem to. I continue to get a lot of... Uh, emails and and feedback and and it's great and really i appreciate it please keep sending your comments um i try to respond to all of them and uh i do read absolutely every one that i get um there's a couple i want to share with you uh, one of them came from tim um and he says today while at work i was reaching for a box of fries when i lost my grip i tried to catch it but it snagged my pinky ring and it fell off my finger the box fell on it, and now it's smashed and unwearable. Now, it may be due to the fact that I never take it off, or whatever, but I feel naked without it. My question ascertains whether or not you've covered this form of nakedness. Maybe it falls in the realm of naturism in one aspect or another, or not at all. Perhaps it helps to reveal the psychological aspects of nudity and naturism. Please forgive my muse. While I am deeply upset about my ring, I am very interested in your take of understanding what it means for the sake of naturism. Thank you for your time, Tim. And that's an interesting question. Um, and I, I think it does speak to the gymnophobia issue, which was not actually about rings or jewelry or a situation like that. But um, a lot of our reactions and feelings are, are very emotional in nature and, and we're tied to it. And I think it is related. Obviously, um, you're, the fact you're missing it or feeling uncomfortable without it is because you've become so accustomed that it's part of who you are. Um, 
is it in this situation a shield or something that changes who you are? Um, I don't think so. Probably not as much. Um, uh, clothing is a little bit more extreme, of course, because there it is whole shame, embarrassment, and uh, social status and that kind of thing, which I don't think you would be experiencing. But the ring had become part of who you are, so emotionally you were tied to it as part of your identity. And certainly that's what clothing is, but the clothing is so much more insidious and deeper uh, when it comes to the textile world. So that's my opinion for what it's worth. And certainly I'm not a psychologist, um, so I'm not an expert in that. And I'd be interested in any other comments or thoughts that people would want to share about that. Another email comes from Rod. It's a little longer, but I'll read it the same because I think it's interesting. He says, Dear Stefan, I discovered your Nature's Living shows just recently and have fast become a fan. Here in South Africa, organized naturism is in its infancy with two provincial organizations. Previously, there was a quasi-national body, which was our representative at the INF, but somehow it became infiltrated by people who had motives other than naturism. The country is now represented on the INF by one of the provincial organizations, the Western Cape Naturist Association, WCNA. Personally, I have been a naturist for all of my 63 years on this planet and am forever puzzled by why society has such a hang-up about naked human bodies. How can something so normal and natural, we all have one, be obscene or indecent? In Cape Town, we have an unofficial naturist beach called Sandy Bay. In days gone by, the local police used to rush onto the beach and arrest people for public indecency, which resulted in admission of guilt and a fine of uh, 50R, which I assume is the currency in South Africa. However, in 1986, someone contested the charge in the high court and won their case. The judge finding that Sandy Bay was accepted as a nudist beach by the public, so anyone going there would know what to expect. In spite of this, and the fact that there are about 290 beaches in Western Cape, the powers that be refused to entertain the idea that this beach be officially declared a naturist beach. WCNA has on an ongoing basis tried to explain to the various government departments that visitors from overseas frequent the beach and that could become a tourist attraction, all to no avail. Here in South Africa, we have a number of naturist resorts, but the leading ones are Sun Eden, Kiepersol Kloof, I apologize if I don't pronounce that pro properly, my uh, South African is not very good, and Harmony. Unfortunately, they are in Gauteng, a province far away from me in Cape Town. While very pleasant, I don't believe that they are as grand as your bare oaks. I have seen a couple of pieces on YouTube and would love to have a resort like yours here in my neck of the woods. Looking forward to your next show. Regards, Rod. So this is special to me uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, all emails are special and, and appreciated, don't get me wrong, but it's always neat when I get these uh, communications from so far away. Um, and I have from New Zealand and Australia, which is even further away, but we have listeners in South Africa, which is fantastic. It's also special because um, this I was on the INF board when we accepted uh, the WCNA as the representative from South Africa. And um, I'm, I'm glad to see, I'm always glad to see a new federation joining the INF and representing a country and working towards naturism. Um, that is uh, 
that's bringing us together. Uh, the reason I serve on the INF board is because I think it's important for us to have an international voice. It gives us credibility and it brings us all together. And I hope that uh, perhaps at the next Congress, next September in Ireland, I'll have a chance to meet one of you uh, representatives from South Africa. Um, it's, uh, it was unfortunate that the previous association uh, had to be dropped by the INF, but they were, they were not naturists, and they were up to some very, um, well, some, some, some activities which were actually the complete opposite and counter to what naturism is all about. So it's really great to see people t stepping up and taking the lead again, and that uh, nature's values are alive and well um, all over the world. So I understand that you've got a long way to go, um, perhaps, but uh, it's, uh, the fight is the same everywhere. And uh, while obviously I think Bear Oaks is a great place, it's not that big. And I see no reason why you couldn't replicate places like Bear Oaks um, in your country. Uh, the, it, Bear Oaks only has 119 service campsites and uh, uh, five guest rooms. So it's not that big, and you know we only get a few hundred people, which is a lot more than some clubs, I understand, but we only get a few hundred people a day during the summer. We're not like uh, a Montalivet with the 15,000 people. So it's definitely doable. The, the key is the people running it and the philosophy behind it. That That's what sets the tone, and that's what makes it work and makes it a nature's resort. So by all means, don't discourage Rod, and uh, keep working and keep at it, because it's through the efforts of people like yourself um, that naturism can advance. It's not up to big corporations. It's up to all of us as individuals. So you too, dear listener, have a role in the development of naturism. I was contacted last month by a uh, transcription service called Rev.com. And uh, they offer me a free transcription of my podcast. So, um, of course, I picked the longest or pretty close to the longest one that I've done, at least recently, uh, The Marketing Show. Um, and they did the transcription for free. And they actually did a really good job. Um, I was impressed. It's clearly not a machine, but a person doing it. Um, they had to look up some information because, for example, they spelled my name right. Um and so, yeah, it was very well done. And they're actually not that expensive. Uh, they charge a dollar a minute. But, you know, for a 90-minute show like the, this particular show, that would be $90. That's 90 more dollars than I currently earn from the podcast because the amount of money that I earn from this podcast is nothing. Um, but uh, it is an interesting idea because when you have a transcript and it's easier for search engine to find it and it's easier for people to uh, refer to things that have been said in the show... So um, anyway, I posted it. I'll provide a link in the show notes, and uh, you can go take a look. And uh, do let me know what you think of it. Um, but even if everybody loves it, I'm not sure how I can afford to keep doing it. But for free, no problem. I did a show on pornography, oh, I don't remember, a couple years ago, but I'll put a link in the show notes to it. And um, Gail Dines, Dr. Dines, uh, who wrote the book uh, that we were discussing in the show, uh, had some very valid points. Although I still think, and I said it in the show, that her view that all pornography is bad, it depends on what you call pornography. Because I, I think there is room for uh, some erotica, some sexually explicit material, as long as it's not 
um, degrading to one person, to a particular group, specifically in most cases to women, um, as long as it's uh, about uh, equal sexuality and it's not damaging. But there was a uh, a show uh, that I listen to regularly on the radio that I heard recently that brought all this back to me. If you're a regular listener, you'll recall that uh, I listen frequently to a CBC, uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, a CBC radio show called Q with Gian Gameshi. And uh, in April of this year, 2013, he did a show where he had a, a sex educator named Marty Klein who wrote a book and talks about porn literacy. And uh, he makes a lot of very good points, but I'll just uh, play for you this little clip. In the evening, one of the things that people like to watch on TV is they like to watch highlights of the day's sports, whether it's hockey, whether it's football or whatever. And what you see, for example, um, if you watch highlights of of hockey, uh, what went on all day long uh, in the world of hockey, it's a combination of, of goals and a couple of amazing saves and inevitably one or two fights. And if that's all that a person knew about hockey, they would think, oh, hockey, that's a whole lot of, of goals. They would think, you know, there must be 40, 50 goals in a game. Right. They would think, oh, there's three or four amazing saves every game and that's it. And then they would think, in, you know, every four minutes there's a fight. Uh, so pornography. And if you went to a game, a, there'd be. I'm sorry? And if you went to a game, there'd be pauses in action. There'd be a, a, exactly. a, a lot of skating. There'd be injuries. There'd be all kinds of things that happened in between those goals, right? Right. And you have to get up and go to the bathroom during the game, right? And somebody, you know, accidentally spills beer on you, and then you have to deal with that. So if, if you thought that what hockey was like was all about that highlight reel, and then you went to an actual hockey game, first of all, you'd be terribly disappointed. You'd be bored half the time. The other half of the time, you'd be confused. And you would think to yourself, what's wrong with this game? Or is there stuff about this game that I don't understand? Uh, is there something about the highlight reel that I misunderstood? So... Pornography is like that, where it's a highlight reel. You know, it doesn't have the, you know, this afternoon, if we get our chores done, maybe we'll have time for sex tonight. You know, it doesn't have, (laughs) gee, I don't feel so good. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that's left out of pornography. And so we need young people to understand that. And I think that's a fantastic analogy. And I think that, in a nutshell, really does summarize some of the problems of pornography is that because there's a lack of literacy, and I struggle that with about this with my children, who I know, no doubt, are seeing all kinds of things on the internet, whether they are understanding that what they see is a fantasy, what they see is often not reality. Um, and if you're interested in hearing more about uh, pornography, uh, and uh, you can, one, listen to the uh, uh, radio clip from CBC. It's available online, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes at... Uh, naturistliving.bareoaks.ca and I'll also put a, post a link to the original show on pornography that we did. And it's time again for Discussion with Felicity. Hey, Felicity, how's it going? Hey, Stefan, great. How are you? Good. I wish it was still hot outside. I know. It's getting so cold. New York, too? Yeah. And we're getting less daytime, so it's getting dark at like 5 o'clock. 
That's right. Well, at least it's time. You know, when you live in an urban area, there's lots of chances to do a little bit of indoor naturism, either at your own place, but also at uh, places like in, uh, I'm sure there's pools and stuff that you can go swimming in New York. Yeah, we find indoor places, gyms with pools and everything like that. We we still get we get more naked more often than people realize. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, uh, what do you want to talk about today? Um, well, I wanted to talk about something that's been on my mind because I recently wrote an article about how women in particular should see other women's naked bodies. Yeah. As yeah. Um as a way to see what other women's bodies look like. That's true. That's especially true for women, isn't it? Because like even growing up, you know, in locker rooms and stuff like that, women tended to be more hiding from each other even when they're changing together. Yeah, and I think it's changed a lot, you know. Um I know in in United States in, a, in schools, for example, like kids used to swim naked together and uh, shower after gym class. I don't think kids shower after gym class anymore. So I don't even know if if people can see other other people's bodies like at a gym. So what do you think should happen? Do you think that uh, women should make an effort to walk around the gym without uh, with the locker room <laughs> without any clothes on? Or how do you think we should, um, this would happen? Well, I mean, they're not, they might not be doing it in schools anymore, but I think in actual um, fitness centers and stuff, there's still some nudity, you know, people shower after their workout and stuff. And it's like one, one way for women to, to see other people's bodies. It's not, I mean, ideally they would do it in a naturist environment and in a place that's more body positive and where it's not an environment where, um, you're more likely to compare yourself to other people's bodies, which can make you feel worse. But, you know, just, just seeing the bodies themselves, I think, has an impact. Um, there's also, like, spas, which are, are usually separated by gender, but at least women can see other women's bodies and and maybe be in a comfortable position to do that. But really, like, our... Society doesn't offer enough opportunities for this. So what do you think society should do? I think there just should be more nudity in people's lives. You know, we just need to let go of the the taboo, Um, not be so afraid of nudity and not um, not be teaching kids body shame, but yeah, that has to happen on a grand scale. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you know. Uh, you, also, there's places to see that in art, although sometimes it's idealized beauty. Then it's not real uh, beauty or real bodies. Yeah, but even art. I mean, even art gets gets censored, and um, it's when you're looking at an old painting, it's kind of like a doesn't feel like you're looking at an actual person or, you know, even if they were a real person at one point, it's just a feeling of separation. But the other thing that women can do is check out one of these body positive galleries online. There are these projects where women are trying to expose other women to more body diversity. So they create these galleries of 
women who who volunteer to get naked for the camera and and they put the photos online or they might create a book and then women can kind of diversify their visual diet so to speak and and see something other than what the media is showing them on TV and magazines and so on. Well, that's interesting. Like, uh, can you give us an example? Um, well, one of them, there's a, there's a really um, well-known one. I think it's called, oh, I have to remember, um, The Body Gallery or something like that. I can, I can find it. But it's, that one is one where um, anybody can submit their photos, actually, and most of them, they can wear whatever they want in the photo, and they can also submit a story talking about their body, and you can actually click to search for others' bodies based on their height and weight. So you say, well, I'm I'm five foot four and I weigh 130 pounds, so you type in those um so you click to look for others' bodies who look just like you, and you see what other women look like who also have that height and weight. Hmm. So, can, yeah, so um, it can kind of help people see what, you know, okay, so this is not, maybe this is not what I should look like. This is what I'm supposed to look like because look at these others, other bodies just like mine. Um, but none of the bodies are naked. Oh, they're not? No. They're in underwear, uh, like bra and underwear, or bathing suit, or um, they're dressed. Hmm. And this is this has been on my mind because it it kind of makes me mad because um, you know you have these these projects that are supposed to be body positive and yet they're basically negating that message because they're saying well these body parts are not good. These body parts are bad and shameful. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a real mixed message. Like your body is okay, but don't actually show it, you know? Right. And even like the one I found it, I really found it ironic in seeing one, um, one gallery that's uh, pregnant women or no, not pregnant. Um, women who have had babies, basically mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, women's bodies change a lot after they've had kids, so they felt the need to to show mothers' bodies. And this one, they were wearing um, bra and underwear. And it's like, you know, it's ironic because the breasts change a lot with pregnancy, and breasts are also for breastfeeding. And, like, those two areas, those are pretty affected by pregnancy, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, there is a one called um, I forget what it's called. It's it's uh, 007 Breasts, and uh, it's a website where women send in pictures of their breasts, and you can see real female breasts. Have you ever seen that one? Oh yeah, yeah. There are ones that are specific to body parts. There's also a Tumblr um, called the Large Labia Project, and they're specifically focused on the vulva. Hmm. And I've heard of ones also with just breasts. I wonder why you can't focus there... on the whole body though. Yeah, I mean the I mean I understand the vulva one because like these are actually I mean you could call them pornographic. It's usually because what you would see in porn is like an up close picture of a vulva, but um and you wouldn't see that if you were just looking at a person's naked body unless they like spread their legs and, you know, 
Yeah, well, porn- it, pornography is in the mind of the the beholder. I mean, if I'm if I'm into feet, then that's my porn. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's just an image that people normally associate with porn. But that's right. here, this project is kind of presenting a new idea. You know, this isn't porn. This is this is a body part, and women should be um, proud of it. And and accept it. Yeah, well, that's um, the thing is, I think you're right. I mean, if if women were used to seeing each other's uh, bodies, they would see that there's so much variety um, that theirs is not weird. It's just theirs. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's just it just goes to show the kind of um, deeply ingrained effect that the media has because. You know, I think like if you go out on the street of New York City, it's not difficult to see that people's bodies are not all the same. Yeah. Like even where people are wearing clothes, like you can see all these different bodies, but yet like people have this um, message ingrained. They have this idea in their minds that that their body is supposed to look a certain way, and that if it doesn't look that way, then it's not good. It's not normal. Yeah, no, exactly. Actually, do, so, do you know the Century Project by Frank Cordell? Oh yeah, we have. Uh, we actually have an article about that on our website. Because there's fully nude women in you know their whole bodies, their whole selves, and not just their bodies, but their story. So they're a person, and I, I yeah. think that's one of the the great ones, don't you? Yeah, I really like that one. There are there are some projects that do show like the whole body, um, but let me tell you something else. I contacted. Um, one of these po- body positive gallery websites, and I said, "Why are you censoring the bodies?" And this is one where the women are actually um, draping their arm across their chest, and then like their legs are positioned in a way that you can't see uh, anything below the waist, um, can't see the vulva or anything. So I email them and I ask them, like, why are you censoring the bodies? And they're like, oh, we just wanted to make the images um, Facebook friendly and PG-13. Ah, yes. The, I'm like, the lowest <laughs> no. common denominator, it's Facebook, you know, yeah. setting the standards for all our morals. I know, it's oh, terrible. I, know. I was like, that is the worst reason ever. <laughs> It's like Facebook is causing reverse censorship. People are censoring their own websites because of Facebook because they want to be able to share their stuff on Facebook, which, of course, everyone wants to be able to do. But, like, you can't just use – you can't do that. It's, like, not not a good justification. No, no, not totally. And I know you you also have your qualms with Facebook and – issues with using it and advertising and every naturist does. <laughs> yes. But it's a problem. Uh, it is a problem. It's uh, Well, we got to keep fighting and we will uh, slowly but surely, we can change the world if we don't give up. So keep a- yeah. keep asking those questions and keep making them feel <laughs> stupid. That's the thing to do. I am. I'm going to email every single one of them that I see with covered bodies and ask them why they're censored. Awesome. Good for you. <laughs> going to get to the bottom of it, and then I'm going to write about it. That's right. A rant. So um, what's happening with YNA other than that? Um, we're still working on our new website, unfortunately, but it might be um, launched by the time you publish this podcast. We ran into some technical issues. Um, always happens. 
developers, you know, always something comes up. But, um, yeah, I think this week uh, we're going to launch that. Um, we also launched a new chapter not too long ago. I don't think I told you about that. No, um, where? We have a new chapter in Kansas City. Awesome. Yeah, YNA Kansas City, yeah. Missouri. Good, good. Anything else going on? You got some events coming up? Um, we actually don't have. Um, well, what we're doing is actually going to be uh, teaming up with Beth Nolan, who's a yoga instructor, and I'm going to be working with her to do a women-only event on December first. Um, so that information about that is coming soon. I'm going to get up on our website and it's going to be, um, just a women only day at this salon in New Jersey. Oh, that sounds like, so, that sounds really great. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have yoga class. They can get massage. They can get their hair done. And they can see what other women's bodies looks like. Yes, they can. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I wanted to do a women only thing for a while, so I'm excited. Good. Well, have a, I hope that you have a really good time, and I hope things go well, and I guess we'll talk again next month. Yeah, awesome. We, uh, I mentioned in uh, the discussion, my discussion with Felicity that they are uh, about the books, uh, this, the uh, Century Project. And I just want to announce that uh, both uh, the Century Project, which is a, a wonderful book, um, about women and the Lady Godiva, which is another wonderful book uh, related to the human body and nudity, um, not just women in that case. Um, I have acquired a ton of those. No, many, many tons of those, actually, because I saw the bill of lading. And uh, basically, I've acquired all of what was left over from the publisher. And through the Bear Boutique, which is the store at Bear Oaks, we are selling them off. Discounted naturism, or, well, they're not specifically naturist books, but discounted books about human body and nudity. So they were originally $39.95 plus tax, if you're in Canada, because I'm selling them from Canada. If you're outside Canada, you don't pay the tax. Um, they are now 80% off, and they are both available for $7.95. Um, unfortunately... Because I've already the sale's been on for a little while, and um, if I'm having them shipped, you end up paying uh, significantly more in shipping than the cost of the book. And unfortunately, there's absolutely nothing I can do about that. That is shipping by Canada Post, which is the least expensive method. Um, but that that it is that's the way it is. And uh, so if you're ordering them online, we, there is an online store to the Bear Boutique, bearboutique.ca, not surprisingly. I can remember .ca because we're in Canada. Um, if you're interested, you can order it. We take all major credit cards and all that stuff. Uh, if you don't want to pay for shipping, then you can buy them in the store. You can even order them online and arrange for pickup in the store. But then you have to get to Bear Oaks. And uh, unless you're in... Uh, southern Ontario near Toronto, that's probably not very practical. I met a young woman at Bear Oaks uh, a few weeks ago. Um, her name is Jessica. Uh, she is part of that ever so elusive group of young people in naturism 
and I'm being sarcastic when I say elusive because as you know from other shows, uh, I don't have any problems attracting young people at Baroques. I hear that it's a problem in lots of other places, uh, but we don't seem to have a problem. And she's a perfect example. Uh, Jessica is 28 years old, and uh, but she is uh, interesting because of what she does. Um, she's currently doing her PhD, and she's involved in uh, childbirth and all, all kinds of issues related to women's bodies. So that is why the theme of this show is women's relationship to their bodies, because she has a ton of interesting observations and... Uh, uh, has done a lot of really good work on that. And so I thought it was definitely worth sharing this with you. So hi. Hi. How did you come to find naturism? How did you come to discover naturism? Mm. I think that um, it's my feminist ideals that, ideals that drew me into naturism. And as a, a teenager and as a young adult, I was always uh, the only woman on a textile beach who would go top free. And part of that was about uh, wanting to feel the sun on my breasts and, and just enjoying that feeling. But the other part was very much uh, a political decision about asserting my right to, to be able to be top free, just like all of the men on the beach. Um, and that it never really brought many problems to me, even though I was typically the only one doing it. Sometimes very sexualized and derogatory comments, sometimes very negative ones about children being around and, and that sort of thing. But um, those experiences made me think, wouldn't it be nice if there was somewhere I could go where I could just be top free or nude and not have to always justify it and not always have to uh, explain it to people. And that's, that's really how I sought out and became a naturist. So you've enjoyed, and you, know, you don't just say you like to be nude, you, you, you believe in the naturist philosophy? Absolutely, absolutely. Do you think it's relevant to young people today, or are you just a, an aberration? <laughs> <laughs> well, some people would say that I am, I am in isolation on, on many issues, but I, I think it's consistent with, uh, with young people, and certainly with, um, with feminism. And uh, for me, the two are completely intertwined. Naturism and feminism are both philosophies of life. Uh, people who believe in them tend to follow a very deliberate and ethical way of living. Uh, it's about respect for self, it's about respect for other people, it's about respect for the community, it's about respect for environment. And so to me they're very congruent. Um, and I think that that those are our philosophies and ways of life that young people inherently have within them. Whether or not they've been awakened or attuned to those desires, I don't know. So you've, you've been to Bear Oaks a few times and mm -hmm. you're getting more involved. Mm -hmm. uh, why is that? What is it you like about Bear Oaks? Mm. Uh, I have been a few times and this is, I only recently have moved close to the area. So Bear Oaks has always been my uh, stop through on my summer driving through Ontario. When I needed a place to rest my head, it would be here over a hotel any day. Um, and what I love about Bear Oaks is, is coming here, there really is a sense of community. I like that it's, um, it's not clothing optional to me, that, that creates a whole different way of relating to people and and it creates a safer space and a space that is absolutely about naturism as a whole and not just about being nude um, and i think sometimes those differences are overlooked as minute but they're very important coming to a place where um, naturism is the philosophy it's not just nudism so you said earlier you thought as a feminist that it was consistent with being a feminist do you think feminists see that in general Hmm, good question. And no, um, a lot of my feminist circles, I, I've spoken about naturism and the response I, I get is, uh, oh yes, that, that makes sense, but 
I could never do that or but in this day and age how can a woman's body ever not be sexualized or but all these these buts come up so um, even when we have the, the conversation and and I say you know how can you how can you say that there is not a place where, where bodies aren't completely hypersexualized if you've never tried this there's still a lot of hesitation so that's interesting to me um, because especially ecofeminism, for instance, is a, a particular kind of, of feminism that sees women's bodies and the ways they are controlled through patriarchy and, and colonization um, as being very linked to the environment and how it's been controlled by patriarchy and colonization. And we talk about raping women, we talk about raping the land. Um, so there are a lot of parallels between the environment and, and women's bodies for a lot of feminists. And so to, to talk about a movement like naturism, which to me is a, a movement and a philosophy and a lifestyle all wrapped up into one. There are just so many parallels, it's hard for me to separate them, really. So why do you think that other feminists don't see it? I think that, um, and I can't speak on, on, on behalf of you know, anybody else, but I can speculate based on the conversations that I've had that there is an uncertainty about the existence of, it seems almost like uh, an unreal place, that it's not possible that this place could exist where women and men can live in harmony. It seems too much like a, an idealistic world and I think there might be some disbelief about uh, how comfortable and, and how possible that is. Hmm. Interesting. So even when you explain it, you don't think they're buying it? Uh, I, I, well, n no, people are still hesitant. And um, to try to, to tease that out a bit, it doesn't seem to be based on anything more than an emotional reaction um, and just feeling not comfortable and um, maybe something that they might be open to but if I was to invite them here and I, I have invited folks here they'll say oh well not this weekend or not next weekend you know there's always a reason that comes up not to do it um, so that's that's an interesting piece for me I don't fully understand it now I don't want to destroy your view of, mm. of Baroque's but I don't think it's quite a utopia either. I know there are men here who don't look at women in a completely equal way. Mm -hmm. um, if you know that, does that make it less of a place that's positive for somebody who wants to uh, be feminist? Um, no, because I know that and I've experienced that here and in other, in other nature settings that um, there are still sometimes people who approach you and, and make comments that, that aren't welcome. Uh, and that's a part of... That's a part of life, unfortunately, for a woman. The difference about a place like Bear Oaks is that it happens far less frequently and there are systems set in place. So if there is a problem, you can approach a staff member, you can talk to somebody about it, and that will be that will be addressed. That won't be fluffed off like it would be in many parts of, of the world, in many parts of Canada. Uh, people saying you're overreacting or, uh, oh, that's not really an issue, take it as a compliment. I think any concerns if something happened would be taken seriously here. And that in itself separates it from from anywhere else. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, you're also, you, you have, there's all kinds of interesting things about you. <laughs> um, you're also a doula. I am, I am. And uh, so for our listeners, can you tell us what a doula is and how it's different from a midwife? Sure. So uh, a doula is typically a woman who's trained and experienced in helping women during their pregnancy, labor, and delivery. Um, so it's, it's, a doula is different from a midwife because they don't have medical training. Our job is to be there for a woman physically to support her emotionally to support her to support her with information leading up to her birth um, to be an advocate for her in the room especially if she's giving birth in a hospital where sometimes choices are taken away so it's really to be 
um, a knowledgeable support for a woman during that important time in her life. And many doulas will work uh, with midwives and with physicians in hospitals and at home births. And it's really about just being there for a woman completely and totally during her pregnancy and, and delivery. Uh, I have to add to that that I've, I identify as um, a full spectrum doula or a radical doula as it's sometimes called. And, and that means that I support women through throughout the full spectrum of their pregnancy. So starting with when they first discover that they're pregnant, whether or not they choose to continue their pregnancy, and if they do, leading up until their birth. So I've been with women during their births, I've been with women during their abortions, and for me that full spectrum is, is what supporting women is all about. Interesting. And you have a master's in social work and you're doing your PhD right now. I am. What's it, What's your PhD in? In social work. And I, I have always maintained a, a feminist focus on women's sexual and reproductive health. And right now I'm working with um, physicians literally coast to coast to coast across Canada about their experiences providing women's health care. Now, the um, the uh, vagina monologues that were performed here at Bear Oaks did very well. So well that the uh, troupe was invited to uh, perform on the uh, the nude cruise that's happening in February from Bare Necessities. Unfortunately, one of the cast members couldn't make it, and so you stepped in. And uh, they actually held auditions. And for your audition, you apparently did a... I missed it, unfortunately, but you did a very interesting piece about women's uh, relationships with their bodies in situations like what you're studying. Mm -hmm. what, what, what have you found? What did you, have you seen as part of your research? Well, uh, and I did bring the piece with you, and I'd, happy, I'd be happy to read it if you are of interest of that. I'd love to hear it. Okay, great. Well, I, I've got it here. Um, and what I'm, and my, my studies are still, they're ongoing, but to, to answer your question while I flip open to this page, um, women's bodies especially, and my focus has been on women's pregnant bodies, especially women's pregnant bodies, are very controlled. And so when we talk about how women feel about their own bodies, we also have to talk about how other people feel about women's pregnant bodies because that influences how they feel about themselves. So I've done a lot of, of work trying to understand um, how, how women feel, how they, they see themselves, and also what they're being told about themselves. And so it's all very interesting. They all sort of intertwine together. So this piece, and, and I'll read it, and uh, this is what I read for the Vagina Monologues. It's inspired by jo Dr. Jane Doe, who wishes to remain anonymous <laughs> and uh, in her work with women and um, bringing in some other pieces from other physicians as well. And I'll start, I, I won't read the entire thing, but I'll start here. So this is spoken as, as Dr. Jane Doe. Last Friday, two patients of mine apologized that I was going to have to examine their vulvas. They apologized and squirmed. I could see it. To them, their vulvas are these icky places full of stench and ugliness. It's fine, I told them. I do this all the time. But what I wanted to say was, what's to apologize for? Who taught you to be ashamed? I know the answers. Parents, TV, magazines, men, jokes about fish and tacos. You can make this list yourself. I run across this vulva self-hatred in little old ladies and in 17-year-old girls. I run across it when I deliver women's babies. They believe their vulvas are smelly and dirty and they're ashamed to see me because they like me and they don't want to subject me to that. It's white ladies, Asians, black women, Aboriginal women. The shame breaks my heart. I want to hug them, but I only have 15 minutes 
and I'm between their feet. Not every patient is like this, but they're on a spectrum. Others are faintly apologetic or mention their blood or pubic hair or odor. I can't count the number of women who have apologized to me for having leg hair or pubic hair. Even women in the throes of labor. The idea that their doctor would be engaged in, gendering, in policing their adherence to gendered body practices. It's tragic to me. I spend a lot of time counseling women that it's normal to have discharge. Also that vaginas smell like vaginas, and that's not bad. I see women who scrub outside and inside their vaginas every day. They come in with skin irritations and rashes and discomfort during sex, and it's because they're abusing their genitals with Irish Spring. I say, stop doing that. Be nice to your vagina. And they say, in a small voice, I can't. It's heartbreaking. This also spans race, class, age, and sexual orientation. On the other end of the spectrum, during a pelvic exam, I'll encounter women who have raging bacterial vaginosis, but they have no idea anything is off. This breaks my heart too. This poor woman thinks she has to live with itch and smelly discharge, and I tell her, no, no, I can fix that. Pervasively, my patients refuse to touch their own vulvas. They think it's gross. They hate the idea. They won't. Nuva Ring is a great contraceptive, but as soon as they hear you insert it in yourself once a month, they refuse. They'll put a penis in there, but the comfort to touch their own bodies just isn't there, which makes me wonder if they masturbate. I live for the days when a woman walks into the examining room, speculum in hand, and says, don't worry, doc, I'll prep myself. But these occurrences are too far and few between. Those women love their vulvas. I love my vulva. I hope you love your vulvas. But that's not enough. Until our mothers, sisters, aunties, daughters, and friends, strangers, all of us, learn to love our vulvas, women will keep coming to me in shame. So please make it our mission. Tonight, when you go home, start with yourself. Take a good look, maybe a good touch, and appreciate your vulva. Then help spread the word that vulvas are beautiful. It starts with you, and hopefully it ends with all of us. Volva la revolution. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, and that that's a that's sort of a collection of, and I, I hear that, I hear that from different physicians that I work with. Really, this vulva shame and this body shame that women have. There's, there's, but you know what? There's, it occurs to me there's almost a dichotomy there, because you know if you look at the imagery, the pornography that's on there, there's all this focus towards like close-up shots of vulvas. Like forget the face, forget the person, you know, let's just get to the vulva shot. So there's, there's obviously a, a desire, I guess mostly for men, to see it. Mm -hmm. But that's not translating to women feeling good about it. No. Why, why and, do you think that is? Well, I, I think it's like any other magazine picture that you see. A lot of them have been airbrushed. A lot of them are unrealistic um, images that women can't possibly live up to without some sort of airbrushing or plastic surgery. And in many cases, they're natural women in, in pornography and in magazines, but in most cases, not. And so we, we're seeing a rise of vaginoplasty and of women having plastic surgery on their, their vulvas to have them look yeah. a certain way. Um, 
and so when these women come in, I, I think, and what I hear from the stories that I'm, I'm talking to physicians about and from the women that I've worked with during their, their pregnancies, um, there, there really is, I'm not good enough. Vulvas might be beautiful and, and pornography might be prevalent, but my, my vulva is not pretty and I'm not good enough. We have a, a cultural image of what the, the perfect pink, white vulva looks like, and it doesn't have big labia and it's not hairy and and so people try to live up to that expectation and that's difficult and that's i think where a lot of the shame comes in interesting i in an earlier show i talked about a, there was a, a a show of a plastic surgeon and that's where i learned for the first time about labiaplasty mm -hmm. which just i was appalled to think that anybody would get surgery to change the shape of their labia yeah. but what was most amazing and it says so much about our society is in well, they're doing the surgery, you, the woman has her legs, and you can see pixelate. It's all pixelated because, of course, you cannot show the uh, vulva area on television, right? For whatever reason. So they're doing the work, and then they cut part of her labia and put it in a little tray. And then the camera zoom over. That's not pixelated. So the part that you couldn't see when it was attached yeah. is now okay to see. When it's a piece of meat, when it's detached from your body that has been cut away and violently desiccated away then we can show it I isn't mean, that interesting yeah yeah that's and bizarre i would have loved to be in the production discussion where they sat down and said what what do we have to pixelate and what we don't and how they justify that because i, I don't understand mm -mm. Um, so hmm. naturism obviously people get used to seeing each other but honestly you don't see much on a woman even in naturism you don't see a lot of the vulva right there's really not much to see is there well, unless you're, you're sitting cross-legged, I'm sitting cross-legged right now, or, or sitting sort of wide open, no, there's not a whole lot. And so there's there's still this, I think with, with men, I mean, you can't really hide your penis unless you're tucking it in very strategically. It's it's there, yeah. and and that's accepted as, it was, especially within nature, and that's accepted as it has to be there. So why is it with women that there's still the need to sit with our, our legs crossed and still the the secrecy about the vulva? I don't know. Yes. I, I mean, do you feel comfortable sitting with your legs wide open? Um, well, I, I did uh, yoga at Bear Oaks with Nikki a few weeks ago, and that was <laughs> certainly the first time I've been on my back with my legs wide open above my head nude in a group of people. So yeah. <laughs> that, was, um, that was fun. I, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I, but I have to say when I'm in a medical setting, for instance, if I'm getting a pap test, there is that it, it's a different the medicalized institution is very different than the natural naturist world. Well, I, was, I will say it's not, I get a prostate exam and that's not particularly comfortable no. either. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the nudity. No. <laughs> uh, but it's, so, and I'm not trying to, I don't want to point out to make you uncomfortable, but uh -huh. you're sitting very comfortably, mm. but you feel at all self-conscious that you're sitting that way. Did you, is there, a, because mm. it seems like women have, Maybe you don't, but a lot of women seem to have something built in the back of their head that they do have to cross their legs all the time. Mm. And that's hard to break, isn't it? And even, and, and I think, uh, and I don't know, I'd have to reflect on myself a little bit more before answering that, how I feel and whether, I, I just sat like this because this is most comfortable for me right now. Uh, but I think when you've been taught growing up that sitting cross-legged is the, the thing that good girls do. Yes. And that's the right way Lady -like. to sit. Ladylike. That's hard to undo, even if you're you're in a setting where you don't have to sit with your legs crossed. It's very hard. It's a very deliberate, conscious effort, I think, for a lot of women to undo that socialization. I think there's a certain amount of, you know, 
there's imagery that we get used to see and more and more today because of pornography and the spread your legs baby kind of imagery is ever present it's omnipresent everywhere i'm sure that weighs in on it um jocks you know who jock sturges is no i don't uh he's a photographer who took a lot of pictures uh, at montalivet in france this uh, massive uh, nature's resort and he took pictures of men, women a lot of women some men mostly women i think um but there was some that got him in particular trouble because they were uh young girls and because they were raised as naturists they were sitting like this like you know just like i am very comfortably and he's taking the straight on pictures and they, the people were saying that's pornographic the other pictures were not that one was and it strictly had to do with the way she's sitting and he's, his point was i didn't make them sit that way they just do you know pornography is in the eye of the beholder so if you and i guess if you keep seeing that imagery and you're told that's what it is that that must be hard to get over i mean as yeah. a guy i don't have that to deal with so yeah and somehow that you're even if your body can be seen in a naturist setting that perhaps your your clitoris can't be in maybe as soon as it's shown and then that becomes pornographic i don't know that's very interesting mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah it's interesting it's almost like you know i i keep thinking that the naturism is is part, is almost like a therapy but you can't just come here you have to question you have to think about it and just like you have to push yourself to just take, come and take your clothes off to start with then i think you should go beyond that and and question you know whether how you behave yourself and what you do with it um mm-hmm. we've had all discussions in the past about you know is makeup appropriate are body piercings appropriate um and my answer has become that sure because really it depends on you that there's a baseline that we're not wearing clothes and that's showing respect to each other and and all being equal but if the makeup is a crutch then it's wrong mm. if it's just because you like to be yourself unique to adorn an adornment not because you think you're ugly without it but because you want to do something interesting i mean i have a mustache but i shave the rest of my face i don't have the mustache to hide my face i don't shave my the rest of my beard because i hate it that's just what i choose you have long hair mm-hmm. you could shave your head um you know it, it's it's a difficult line to decide and i think that's what you have to do your own soul searching you have earrings mm-hmm. i do i also have i also have one dreadlock there you go <laughs> and it becomes uh, about self expression i think yeah. and uh, yeah yeah i i hear what you're saying about taking off and wanting to be as natural as we are and that being a, a key value to why we come together but then how do we how do we make room for difference and i think that we do i think that we've decided in in society in general that we appreciate differences between people and we can still be communal and unique yeah and i th- i think we can still again it comes down to yourself mm-hmm. and you have to ask your question do you need this right do you, do you have to do it can you do without it um and i find usually you know um i just did a i talked in the last podcast and i did an article about women wearing wraps and some natures resort you send putting on wraps all the time and it's pretty clear that they're tying it around their waist because they're more comfortable with their lower area covered when you really get into it they'll say well it's just convenient you have to have a wrap to sit on anyway well you can throw it over your shoulders you can throw it in your bag i'm not buying that carefully tying it around your waist being more convenient mm-hmm. um and that's where you have to ask yourself why do i do what i do 
uh, even to the point of, you know, why do I, you know, sit the way I sit, I think, as a woman. And uh, it's tough, but you, you know, you, you could be open to criticism for doing it from some people. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have to be prepared. You know, you're top free. You walk top free. People ever question you about that? Of course, yeah. And yeah. what do you say? Well, I, I typically on the beach when people say, um, you know, you should cover yourself up or they'll say, we have children here. Uh, my response, if they say we have children here, I'll say, yes, isn't it a wonderful day to be playing at the beach? <laughs> you know, something like that. Uh, but if someone leans over and they whisper to me, you know, don't you think you should put your shirt on? I'll kindly whisper back and say, don't you see all the thousands of men who don't have shirts on? Yeah. <laughs> you know, are you talking to me or are you talking to all of the men? So I, I try to, I try to normalize it. Uh, but that in itself gets exhausting to be yeah. the only top free person. I, I feel like you, you take on a bit of a burden where um, you, I go to the beach to relax. And if I have to go to a textile beach, then I have to go to a textile beach. But I go to relax regardless. And to have to then think all the time about what people are seeing when they look at me or what they're thinking or having to defend the top free position, that's exhausting. It is exhausting. So why do you do it? Uh, because I think it's important. I, I think it's important. So the women who won't do it, do you blame them? No, I, uh, we're all strongly people of products of our socialization. And so if I can lead by example and in being top free, for instance, and trying to normalize it, that's a small thing that I can do. But uh, I, I think it's much more difficult than just saying you should or shouldn't do anything when we are so but strongly socialized. If the other women don't do it, you will continue to be the only woman on the beach and it'll, you'll never get there. I think some women will, but uh, I'm not going to tell them you should take your top off. I think that I'd rather them see how normal it is for me to do it and, and feel inspired themselves to take their tops off. It's a tough position, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> yeah. In September, just this last month, I was at the INF 60th anniversary celebration in Montalivet, uh, which, as you know, is uh, I was there in July as well, and I was there last September, um, September 2012, um, to, for discussions with regards to the Naturist Guide. By the way, there's going to be a 2014 guide as well that's being published as well with North America, and we will sell it through the Bear Boutique. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, I was at the 60th anniversary as a representative of the INF, and uh, I was also there partially representing Canada and representing you, my dear listener, because of the show. And I recorded uh, the speeches. So, of course, they were in many languages. Many of them were in French, uh, some in German, and some in English. Um, because this is an English podcast, I will just now... Uh, play for you the speech which is being read by the vice president, uh, Mick Ayers, uh, and was originally presented and written by the president, uh, C. Glinda Evo, um, and it's being done in front of the uh, INF monument, and there's a large crowd of people, and uh, the monument was, uh, from what we gather, we can't get a complete history on it, but from what we gather was done um, 40 years ago on the 20th anniversary, and it's kind of interesting because... 
There was going to be a 50th anniversary at uh, Montalivet, but for a variety of reasons, uh, Montalivet was deemed to not be suitable at that time. There was some problems happening there with the management. And so it never happened. So instead, we were doing the celebration here on the 60th. But there was a plaque there on the monument for the 20th, and then one for the 40th. So now the 60th fits perfectly in that pattern. It seems that we celebrate every 20 years the uh, the foundation of the International Nature's Federation. So the monument was uh, renovated and fixed up, and a new plaque was affixed for the 60th anniversary. And this is the speech um, in front of the monument. Dear Nature's friends, today we celebrate the 60th anniversary of the INF. I want to thank you all for participating, and particularly Madame Lecoq for being present today, and the team of CHM for the work in making this successful. This celebration gives us the opportunity to look at the past, but above all, we have the possibility to look at the future. Therefore, I would describe to you the voyage of the INF through the decades in the manner of a cruise. These days, experience in naturist cruises across the oceans is in vogue for naturists. Events in historical sites can be chosen just as they would be for excursions on land. The captain of this ship, in this case of INF, a female captain, has always needed a full, good working crew. Otherwise, the cruise ship, sooner or later, will run aground on a sandbank. Therefore, it's important to say thanks for the past, and equally to encourage each other for the present and the future. Of course, Helton and sailors join her on the bridge. In the same way, we at the INF committee managed to direct the destinies of the INF across all national borders and also language difficulties. It also provides and depends upon the crew at the front end of our cruise. For this reason, it's important that the national federations give their input to the international work so that we're not only taken seriously as enthusiastic naturist people, but we're also able to give French fresh impotence. As happens on any cruise, we at the INF have had to survive some storms. The important point is, despite these difficulties, we did not have any leaks in our ship and we've remained safe and sound. The port of departure was Montalivet. That's why we're here together now with our French naturist friends. Here we can be as we wish to be. Here we can think over how we can make our naturist movement more vivid and colourful. It's not only been that our predecessors in 1953 thought about what sense an international alliance could make. Right from the start of the movement, the INF membership card was a fixed element. When today I think that handing on over this card, naturists may well get a a deductions at naturist centres, and for me a question comes about, is this the only purpose for the card? When we want to be guests at associations, which often involves crossing borders, the INF license opens doors to us to visit many naturist clubs. Should not the INF membership card today be an equal part of the naturist movement? But first, let us dare to take a long passage across the large ocean to America. There already in 1958, naturists had successes in relation to publicity work for the naturist movement. The INF Chronicle mentioned that for 20 years a fight had been going on in the USA to publish naturist magazines with non-retouched photographs. In these days, this long-run legal dispute seems to be arachnistic. Countless magazines and even more publicity posters are decorated by men 
and even more so by ladies in scanty or no clothing, respectively in the splendour of Adam and Eve. The attractiveness of these publications appears at such a pronounced level that the naturist magazines of today disappear into insignificance. Here we have no difference between the naturist federations of America and the European continent. This leads to the task that we as naturist enthusiasts must face. You can think though that many people in modern times do not need naturist clubs or naturist federations to undress. They can wander to the beaches and riversides, take off their swimsuits and bikinis, and for them it's no problem to use open spaces for this purpose. So the question remains, what can naturist clubs and naturist federations offer in order to keep people linked to them? What is, in fact, the real benefit of our living movement? We equally have to think about our own presentation. Many of us still face difficulties with the modern media and social networks. They're certainly not the solution to anything, yet they seem to be almost indispensable to get the young and, indeed, middle generations to link with us. The speed of the social networks, for example, cannot be beaten. There are many naturist events these days which are arranged at short term via Facebook or Doodle. It appears, therefore, we have a lot to catch up on with the regular media. The fact that the internet seems to be making printed publications unnecessary. That requires our creativity so that we can maybe shake off an image of old club magazines. Would it not be the greatest idea that one day nature's digital magazines can also be found in all libraries and railway stations? Let us take the excursion of America to its end at this moment, and the cruise ship now sets source back to Europe. In 1962, the Congress at Hanover took place with delegations of 16 nations, but with about 3,000 guests. Incredible today if we imagine the 60th anniversary takes place with 19 nations and 60 guests. In those days, state ministers and mayors fought for the honour to make welcome speeches at INF Congresses. So where has been this presence in recent times? Times are changing and so does the movement. But what has changed is the importance of the INF and national federations has decreased to an extent. It's not possible to give answers to this just like that. In Hanover, 1962, thoughts were given to this, whether religion was an issue for the naturist movement. Then they stated that here a human being acting out from religious depths of, can cope with their life and they become the model. Naturism is a philosophy of life which aims to eliminate the unessential, the worthless and the hollow appearance. With what vigour those naturist people talked about such contents. When we begin the hundredth rerunning of the meeting of free youth unions, which will be celebrated Hohenmeister in the proximity of Kassel in Germany, there will be memories of these substantive disputes about the youth movement and life reforms, those who wanted to protest against the developments of the time with a life close to nature and a life in nudity. In 1962, many federations had to fight for their children. In Belgium, in South Africa, in Australia, prohibition of naturism on the issue of children had to be averted. We have to make ourselves more credible. If we should perhaps return to the originals so we do not give any opportunities for our opponents to attack us simply on prevailing conventions. While the cruise ship is about to move over the North Sea to the British Isles, and actually something special happened there, in 1970, we offered an opportunity to the cartoonists for the nature, to, to go for the naturism as we practice it. An Anglican priest participated at the opening of the 12th World Congress in Orphington. 
The cartoonist presented the apparent contradiction of a buttoned Anglican priest and the frank naked people in varying ways. During this meeting, the reliance between the organized and non-organized naturists became clear. The cruise ship didn't just stop at the British jetty, but on 1978, however, it did return once again to the vicinity of Portsmouth. Here, the delegates of the INF World Tourism discussed nature's holidays. You can read that a great mass of unorganized and a small group of organized naturists must coexist and must support each other. When today we think about nude hiking, for example, this becomes obvious. Many clubs skeptically observe this trendy sport. But the reality of nature's life proves that nude hiking is experienced in a strong popularity. It also produces positive news in the press. Whilst we don't forget, it has a serious side. But it's turned this trendy sport into a venture to be taken seriously. From the Atlantic, the cruise ship then takes its course to the Mediterranean to find its way to the site of Costa Natura, close to Malaga in Spain. There, the issue was the future of organized naturism. 30 years ago, we had the same question mark in front of us, just like today. The clubs and the federation should perceive this task as the mainspring of naturism, but it also could be the message of Montalive today, could it not? Somehow, the number of passengers during the 90s decreased. The importance of the INF was minimized. Much of that revolved about money and the posts. There have always been a lot of human contacts, and it's always been a sympathetic part of naturism and would remain so. Human contacts belong within the work of federations. And at the final end, our clubs and our federations live simply from people. Let us therefore look at how we can maintain the cruise ship on course and make the naturist movement more likely to become the majority. I, Big Linda, is ready for it, but she needs the crew on the bridge and the ports to stop at. It is time that the older ones perhaps let go of the rudder and didn't stick in the chairs. Young people are the present and the future. Especially in many federations, we have to note that people are aging. Sooner or later, will become extinct, but it's not, still not perceived as a problem. We need to work on this. But in all the senses described, I wish you successful future decade. Big later. Well, that's all, my dear listener, for this episode of The Naturist Living Show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Again, my name is Stéphane Deschain, and I'm your host for this podcast and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park near Toronto, Ontario. You find uh, links, as I've said repeatedly in this particular show, to all of the items I've mentioned in the show notes, which is on the show's website, which you find at naturistliving, one word, dot Bear Oaks, of course, that's B-A-R-E, Bear Oaks, .ca because we're in Canada. So keep sending your comments and suggestions. I read a few of them on the show. I read them all, and I always appreciate getting them, and I try to respond to every one of them. The show's email address is naturistliving, one word, at bearoaks.ca. Join us again in about a month for the next episode of The Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. 
It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca. Thank you.